0: All right. all right. Well, good to see all of you this morning. Uh, happy Father's Day to all of the, the fathers in here. Um, indeed, I am heading home at 222 to see my girls. We're going to celebrate Father's Day tonight. Um, I think I can probably speak for all of the, the dads in here. Having kids has radically changed my life. And give me a give me a great perspective as to God's love for me and his patience and his long suffering. Amen. <laughs> so what a cool thing. We we celebrate Father's Day. We can always celebrate that um uh, God is a faithful father to his people. So uh so yeah, on the way here I'm thinking, man, I'm like, "Oh Lord, and see normally under most circumstances I would have my message just laid out. I would know exactly how it went, you know. But that wasn't the case today. I'm I'm driving to church. I'm like, man, Lord, I got so much I want to share. You know, it's been so long since I've been here, and and love you guys. Love Pastor Tim and his family. They're just awesome. And I was like, I've got so much I want to share. And the Lord's like, nope, you don't need to do that. Yeah. I often think, you know, quantity and output of information is. The answer, and it's not the Lord. He can take a nugget and change a life, you know, with a word. He doesn't need quantity, you know. Um, I've I've spoken at places, and I've I've talked to people afterwards, and I, just people's lives radically changed, and they've said it was just when you said such and such. It just God's, and I didn't even say that, you know. And <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, so. I didn't even say that, but that radically changed your life. You know who that was? That was God. That wasn't me. And so the Lord doesn't need quantity. He just, you know, he does his thing, man. So so I'm, um, you know, the great comeback. You know, um, the book coming out in a couple months is called The Great Comeback. It's my life story, and uh, at least up to this point. And, uh, and I've had a lot of great comebacks, great comebacks in the boxing ring, uh, my marriage—we've been married twice. Uh, we were married at 18, divorced at 20, remarried at 22. You know, we've been through a lot, but we've seen that God is the God of the great comeback. That's who our God is. Yeah, that's His character. His nature is of the great comeback. And, and you know, Proverbs 24:16 is a great passage. It says, "Although a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again." You know, when you can fall, you can go down seven times and come back to victory, man. That's that's a great comeback, you know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know. So I'm I'm just thinking on the way here, uh, and I tell you, it's funny. The Lord helps me on these things. I get, here, and I'm like, so so, Pastor Tim, we got that video ready, right? He's like, what video? And I'm like, thank you, Lord, you narrowed it down, you know. So. <laughs> I did have a boxing video I was going to show you guys, and God did a great work, gave me a great message through a boxing match. You know, it's interesting. Paul would liken our spiritual walk to boxing, you know, other sporting events, track and field and uh, wrestling. But, but boxing especially, he told the young Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. He says, you know, I don't shadow, you know, punch the air like a boxer shadow boxes. I, I, I run the race with purpose, and I, I have a goal in sight. So he likens our spiritual walk to that of a boxing match, and, and, and I think that's true. I think every one of us can relate to that because we've all been beat up a little, right? Sometimes it's self-inflicted wounding, and, and, you know, we should learn from that. You know, First Peter, I think, 4 talks about, you know, when you sin and you suffer consequences from sin, well, stop sinning, right? So <laughs> that's not exactly what he said, but you get the point. But sometimes, you know, we live in a fallen world, and, uh, and, and the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. You know, Jesus said you will be persecuted for your faith. You'll suffer in this life. You know, uh, concerning Saul of Tarsus, God said, I'm going to show him what he's going to have to suffer for, for my namesake. What he's going to suffer the in, the in suffering he's going to have to endure for me. And that's not really encouraging, is it? <laughs> We don't like the sound of that. We don't like the sound of suffering. We don't like the valley. We don't like the wilderness. But um but the Lord uses it in every case. And I will tell you, um, today, the Lord on the way here, he's kind of steering what I'm gonna share with you guys, and it's in John chapter two. I know you guys have your Bibles. I had thought about this passage earlier this morning and talked to Pastor Tim about it. It's 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 definitely a great comeback. You know. Through the scriptures, we see great comeback after great comeback after great comeback. Um, Joseph out of the pit and to the second in command, and, 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 you know, a great comeback. We see uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the furnace and then coming out, a great comeback. We see Lazarus going into the tomb for four days and then coming out, a great comeback. You know, we see uh, Jesus on the cross, the greatest comeback of all. That we can accredit our salvation to, right? So, God is the God of the great comeback. I, I could camp out here for a minute. You, um, you guys, many of you probably need a great comeback. Probably something in your life has, has, has not turned out how you had hoped it would, um, Maybe you need a great comeback in your, your finances or your, or your emotional state. Maybe you struggle with depression or anxiety. You need a, you know, a great comeback there. Maybe your marriage isn't all you'd hoped it would be. And you need a great comeback in your marriage. Um, maybe you simply need a great comeback in your walk with the Lord, right? You need to come back to Him in a, in a sincere, humble, servanthood walk with the Lord, you know? There are a lot of great comebacks. Um, Today, John chapter 2, the wedding in Cana, this is a great comeback. It actually is. It may not appear to be so right at at, a glance, but um, it says on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So weddings in this day were a very big deal. A very big deal. Weddings are a big deal today, and people spend enormous amounts of money on weddings. I mean, you guys, uh, you look on a little bit of uh, Instagram or Facebook, and you see these weddings. People are spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, sometimes just on the photographs, right, or the video of it, you know. Um, I live near a resort in East Tennessee called Blackberry Farm. The minimum for a wedding at Blackberry Farm, I think, is about 150 grand. so it's crazy, I'm thinking I got four daughters. I'm coming up with six hundred thousand dollars, man. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> I'm convinced the Lord doesn't want me to be rich. If he did, it would have happened in boxing. And should and, and theoretically should have. And I you know, me and Pastor Tim were talking this morning about it, but I had several times in my career where I had seven-figure checks ready to be signed I just had to do certain things and things had to work out and line up and it it never did I had promoters walk on fights that I you know I had one fight uh 75 grand the the guy I never got paid for a year later we settled for seven thousand dollars yeah crazy but you know what (laughs) the Lord is sovereign over that you know and and it was all part of his plan and purpose for me you know Unfortunately, I don't hear from God quite like the Old Testament prophets and Daniel and you know. So, I don't have him on direct signal all of the time cuz cuz of me of course, but but um but so he guides me oftentimes by circumstances and sometimes quite often it's financial circumstances. I guarantee you had I made the money in boxing I should have made, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> you know? And this is where God wants me, and that's where I want to be. I don't want to be anywhere else. No better place to be than the will of God. Amen. Amen. But weddings, you know, were a big deal in this day. And you think about the culture, the situation, the 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 Roman oppression upon um, the the Jews. A good time was hard to come by two thousand years ago for the for the Jews, right? So so. The birth of a child and a wedding, those are the two most exciting events that could happen, right? Today, we got so much, you know, we got all the bells and whistles and nine-year-olds have cell phones and laptops. And, you know, I mean, it's just like we've got entertainment everywhere and, like, things to enjoy and fun and our freedom. And, wow. But 2,000 years ago, in this context, this group of people, this was a huge deal. Weddings were a very big deal and here it says Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding and uh and when they ran out of wine verse 3 the mother Jesus said to him they have no more wine now this is important see apparently Mary uh is somehow involved in this wedding It was probably a family wedding she was probably related to the one of the you know probably the groom and um or maybe not either way but um She's involved in it, and she has the responsibility of making sure the supply of wine is stocked. Now, this is interesting. To have a, a, a wedding was so important that if it was a bad wedding, it would sh- put a shadow on the groom and his family, on their, their cultural, their social standing. It would put a shadow over them. It would be horrible for their social standing. Um, Many times, if it was a bad wedding, that that, the groom and his family would be outcast, and, and um, it was a, a big deal. If it was a good wedding, however, um, it would shed very very well upon the family, and their social standing would be, be elevated, and they would you know now be of prominence in the community. So they were, it was a little different than it is today, but it was a huge deal. The number one rule to have a successful wedding, you can believe what it was, don't run out of wine. <laughs> That was the number one rule. If you ran out of wine, the wedding's a bust. It's a huge mistake. It's a failure. The groom and his family, they can forget ever being prominent again or of, of any noteworthy status at all. It was like this horrible thing, you know. It's, um. And here Mary's been given this huge responsibility. Uh, you know, I find it interesting. For almost three decades, she had been the brunt of gossip and slander in this community, that, that she had been unfaithful to Joseph, that, that their baby Jesus was born out of wedlock, they didn't know who his dad was, you know, the list goes on. It, they had been the brunt of this for almost three decades. She had allegedly, because of her alleged actions, she had cast a shadow over her family. Now this family wedding, she's given the most important job. That's interesting. (laughs) Uh, Certainly it's for our benefit because it's right here in the text, and we're going to learn a lot today, so it's good. But she says to him, they have no more wine. Horrific social blunder, tragedy has struck. But Jesus says to her, woman, (laughs) it was a polite, respectful term actually, but uh, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What does your concern have to do with me? What was her concern? Her concern was social status. Her concern was pleasing the people. Her concern was vindication from years of gossip and slander. And she's sitting here going, you know what? Um, Jesus... I know what he can do he can all things are possible he's God in the flesh he can do anything he certainly he can produce wine out of thin air right and if he does it and everybody sees it well then then all this years of slander and gossip is going to be done away with they're going to say I was right all along and I want to be right darn it (laughs) you know what don't we want to be right sometimes way too much but it's, but it's interesting. He says, that's not my concern. My concern is doing, Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what he tells me to say. He had one concern, obedience to his Father. Wow. That was Jesus' only concern. And, and, and God's timing in all of these things, because he says, my hour has not yet come. What hour? The hour of his crucifixion, his revelation to the world, his his saving of all of mankind, the atonement for sin, substitutionary atonement. That hour had not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. <laughs> this is so funny. So Mary gets put in this interesting place. You know, she doesn't get, you know, you know, uh, the answer she w- had hoped for. And she just pulls out the obey Jesus card. <laughs> Whatever he says, do it. This is Mary's last recorded words, actually. Pretty interesting there. Uh, maybe you have a Catholic friend you could share with them. This is her last words, putting all the emphasis on Jesus and do what Jesus says to do. It's all about Jesus, not me. I'm, you know, um, anyway. But she pulls the God card. This is, if you want to go into a life of counseling, this is all you need to know. This is it. Just pull an Obey Jesus card every time. You know, we got these big problems, blah, blah, blah. We'll obey. Do what Jesus says to do because you'll be right every time, All right? You'll never be wrong if you just tell people, do what Jesus says to do. <laughs> now, I encourage you to learn what Jesus actually says to do. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> So she says, this do what Jesus says to do to the servants. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So a massive amount of water and wine, as we're going to see, just a massive quantity here. I, I think I figured it out a while back, like maybe 1,200 pounds of liquid. <laughs> so lots of wine anyway. And Jesus says to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Now these guys, these servants, God bless them, they have no idea what Jesus is going to do. They've just been told to obey Jesus. And that's kind of where we're at most of the time, right? We don't really know what he's going to do, how it's going to work out. We don't get to see the, the, the tomorrow. We don't get to see next week. We're not promised 10 minutes from now. But we just obey Jesus, and we walk by faith, not by sigh, right? So we're kind of in the same place as these guys, but, but they, they fill them up. And I love what they do here. Now, this is a hard job. You know, it wasn't like they had a, a, a water hose and a spigot, and you turn it on, and you're just sitting there, just sitting there, yeah, we're waiting to fill up. You know, that's not what happened here. These guys, they have to take these large cisterns, which I'm sure are pretty heavy. They have to take them probably a, a sizable distance to a well, draw water, fill them up, hundreds of gallons of water. A very difficult job. And it would have been tempting along the way to go, you know, you get it up, you know, three-fourths of the way or five-sixths of the way. It's almost full. Yeah, that's enough. And it would be really tempting to go, yeah, that's good. Let's let's, let's get the job done, right? But they didn't do that. What did they do? It says they filled them to the brim. (laughs) I mean, we could go a long way here. You know, how do we serve the Lord? How do we obey the Lord? Do we do it, do we do just enough to get, you know, to get by? or Are we obeying Him just enough to, you know, squeeze into heaven, right? Or are, we, are we loving the Lord and serving the Lord with a piece of our heart or all of our heart? Are we serving Him, serving him all the way to the brim? Are we obeying Him to the brim? I think we're going to see good reason why we should be in just a moment. I should note here, wine is is symbolic, biblically, of several different things in Scripture. Number one, it's it's symbolic of joy. Literally, in this case, when they run out of um, wine at a wedding, they ran out of joy. That's why the wedding's a bust, because there's no joy. And that's what they were looking for. Man, we want joy, we want a good time, right? So it's symbolic of joy. It's also symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And in this case, I think both are applicable as we move forward. Keep that in mind. But but they fill them up to the brim, and uh, and he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. Take it to your boss. Take this water that you just worked your tails off to to get. Good job. Now <laughs> you got no idea what's coming, do you? Right. <laughs> and now take it to your boss and tell him it's wine. Uh, excuse me. What you uh, really? Yeah. Look, guys. We don't have to understand. We don't, we don't have to understand, but we need to obey, right? Jesus commands us to do a lot of things that really don't make much sense. He said, you know, those of you that try to find your life, you're going to lose it, but those who lose your life from me will find it. That makes no sense, you know, with natural intellect. He said, give to those who ask without expecting anything in return. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, Dave Ramsey's you know, he doesn't approve of that. <laughs> I don't know. You can make a profit. Sure, I mean, it's fair, right? You know, it doesn't make sense, you know. Um, what did he say? He said, love those who, you know, lo- love your enemies. He said, those who persecute you, pray for them. You know, be good to them, love them. That doesn't make any sense. I want to beat them up, you know. <laughs> just don't. The- this commandment made no sense. We don't have to understand the commandment, but if we're if we're wise, we will obey the commandment. You know, um, I, I've never obeyed Jesus and later on looked back and went, man, I wish I had done something different. I've never done that. I've never regretted obeying the word of God. Not once. How many times have you regretted not obeying the word of God? <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> well, it says here, and they took it. They obeyed. They did what he said. Imagine the process. It would have been a difficult uh, a process to do, taking these large cisterns now full of, full of water and at some point full of wine. Um, it would have been a difficult job. Like I said, it didn't make sense. Following Jesus is not... Um, And there's there's two sides of this, but following Jesus isn't easy. It's not. He said, narrow is the way, difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. On the other hand, uh, living for the Lord is the best, most fruitful, productive life you could ever live. So there's, there's two sides to that, of course, but they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. You've kept the good wine till now. By the way, before I move on. Let's not use this as a reason to drink alcohol. <laughs> it's not a good one. Look, it was wine. It was real wine. I mean, here the, here the uh, master of the feast says, you know, most people wait till the guests are drunk to bring out. It was real wine. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not, I won't even, I don't need to go there. Look, WWJD, you know. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Jesus said, I'm not going to, Jesus his self-proclamation, if we want him to be our model, we want to follow his example. He said, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine again until the wedding supper of the lamb. So until we marry him, if we want to truly follow Jesus' example, we won't either. So, you know, anyway. I'm not. <laughs> but um, you saved the good till now. <sighs> A few things to look at here. So, these water pots, they were used for ceremonial cleansing, religious, empty ritual. And that's exactly where religion will leave you every time. It'll leave you empty every time. If I could give any emphasis today's, to today's message, it will be this. Never neglect your personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus. Because if you neglect that, nothing else matters. That is the most important thing in everyone's life here. Is is your relationship with Jesus, your personal relationship with him, not knowing about him, but knowing him. Is that thriving and active and, 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 and alive in your life? Is it? You know, we get to know him better through the study of his word, through prayer, through obedience, you know. Um, I would say, you know, communication, meditation, sanctification—that's the the three steps: the Word of God, prayer, and obedience. But uh, we gotta, we we need to do that. But they were these religion will leave you empty. Jesus will satisfy abundantly. He will fill to the brim. He he will fill you to overflowing. Everything of this world will leave you dissatisfied. Everything. It will all let you down. Even good things, even things that are gifts of God, if we look to those to be fulfilled, we will be let down. Colossians 2.10 says, you are complete in Christ Jesus. Not and this and that. Jesus is all you need. Everything else flows underneath that. And as he said in John 15.5, he's the vine, we're the branch. We have to be connected to him or nothing else works. Nothing. So, so nurture your relationship with Jesus. Because anything less, any, re- any religious activity, if it's just that, if it's just empty ritual, it's going to leave you empty and dissatisfied. Amen? amen? So these vessels were empty. Guess what? Point number two, if we we're going to n- number these, which could be dangerous. Point number two, they were empty. I just said that, right? No, this is different. They were empty. We need to be empty vessels for the Lord to fill. If they were full of something, they wouldn't have been available for this great miracle to be filled with, symbolically, the Holy Spirit. Look, we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit for revival. That's what we need. But before revival takes place in Richmond and Knoxville and wherever, before revival takes place on a on a on a massive social scale like that it's gotta take place in our heart first. We need the outpouring of the spirit in our lives first, or it ain't gonna happen. And for that to take place, we need to be empty. We we, we live in an interesting day and age, technology and, and we, we're constantly filling our minds, filling our hearts, filling our eyes with, with garbage. And um and it's I get it, man. We live in a weird time. (laughs) Everywhere you look, there's stuff pulling you away from Jesus. There's the flesh to contend with. There's demonic influence, you know, the satanic realm. Whew, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Beam us out, Lord. (laughs) But we need to be empty. We need to be very careful about what we put in our minds, about what we uh, uh, allow to take root in our hearts. We need to empty ourselves to be full of the Holy Spirit. In this case, these uh, water pots, Jesus, I personally believe when the master of the feast took the water out of the pot and put it in his mouth, I believe that's when the transition was made from water to wine. And um, and we see in this case, symbolically, a massive quantity of the Holy Spirit and joy being given Due to obedience to Jesus. Look, if you want to have joy, man, we need joy. Just recently, very prominent, you know, very wealthy, successful people ending their lives, and we see it all the time. Uh, I don't know the statistics exactly, but suicide is a massive problem in our nation, massive problem around the world, but but especially in the United States, where we we have the Arguably the greatest life of any other nation. And suicide is just going through the roof. Why? A lack of joy. A lack of joy. We see here that the degree of joy we experience in our life is directly proportional to the degree of obedience to Jesus and his word. Isn't that Wow. Maybe you wanted something really profound. Look, obey Jesus and you'll be full of joy. It's not, I mean, I guess it's profound. I don't know. It's not much for philosophy or whatever, but, you know, it's, uh, it's true. The degree that you obey Jesus is the degree of joy you're going to have. The Bible says difficult and hard is the way of the transgressor. When I live a life that doesn't honor God, I am just, man, it wrecks me, you know. I think we can all experience, you know, I've all experienced that in our BC days. But now I see that the more I obey him, the more I love him and follow him and just sincerely serve him, the more joy I have. Also, we see here that Jesus saves the best for last. You know, I... That it sounds good, doesn't it? Right? Jesus saves the best for last, and we all we know this is true, and we think you know heaven's right around the corner. You know, I mean, I'll be forty in December, and I'm like, look, if I live to be like eighty, that's gonna be here tomorrow. Like, the first forty years is just like poof, gone, vapor. <laughs> the next forty will go faster. And it's just like wow, if. But I think the Lord will be back. I'm actually banking on a rapture in three to five, so I don't have to pay for weddings, so <laughs> you know, I'm banking on it, you know But you know, look guys, Jesus saves the best for last. Now look this this it sounds good and it kind of speaks to me. I get it. But I tell you what, man, it is one thing to understand Scripture. It's another thing to walk through it, to live through it. And I just want to share a little personal testimony with you guys this morning that I think will really speak to your hearts. You see, my testimony, um, there's a lot to it. But um, but as far as me and my wife, you know, we were married at 18. We we dated all through high school, knew each other since elementary school, Um we knew God had a call in both of our lives. We both both believed in the scriptures and in Jesus and salvation through him and all this. But we um but we were unwilling to yield to him and 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 obey Jesus. We wanted to do what we wanted to do. We gave into the flesh. We 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 lived a life of sin. And a year and a half later, we were divorced. And um you know, we had we had plans, we had all these big plans. You know, Amy was gonna be a stay-at-home mom, I was gonna be a pro boxer, um, we were gonna have tons of kids. We actually named all of our children before we graduated high school, so we were nuts, you know. <laughs> uh, but but guys, we failed, we didn't yield to the Lord. We we resisted the Lord as as Saul of Tarsus, you know. Jesus, on the road to Damascus, says, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the goats? It's so hard. It's so difficult to resist God. And we resisted God. And it created, well, it cracked the door for the enemy to come in. And, you know, the Bible's is clear. Satan has one job description, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And I guess that's three, but you get the point. <laughs> that's all he does. He, you know, you know. That's his job description, to steal, to kill, and destroy. I don't know that it's a job description, but that's what he does. <laughs> and, um, and we cracked the door for him to get in. And um, it turned what was, you know, all these hopes and dreams, a beautiful friendship, it turned it into a very miserable, frustrating, difficult life. And uh, as I said, you know, a year and a half later, we were divorced um, you know, during, during our divorce, man, we both just went into the world. Um, I thought drugs and alcohol and a party lifestyle and accomplishment and, and money would make me happy. The more I got all that, the, the, the more miserable I was. I mean, I was, I was 20, uh, 21 years old, 60 grand in the bank, brand new sports car, brand new house, number two uh, world ranking as an amateur boxer, and, um, and I'm sitting on the side of my bed with a 40 caliber Glock to my head, one day in my life. You know, I was miserable, but I had everything that my friends thought would make my life perfect, and I was—I hated my life. And um, it's all because I didn't take Mary's simple advice. I—I I dug a—a a ditch to crawl down in, man, and it, it was hard. But um, but as many of you know, um. I didn't in my, well, all of you. I didn't in my life that night. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> uh, see, this is what happens when I don't have notes. <laughs> it's it's really funny. Uh, that's why I I have notes just to keep track, but. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I didn't give my life to the Lord that night, but I, but I, I kept going, and I, I began taking steps toward the Lord. And that's what I encourage every one of us to do here today, is take a step to the Lord. You know, it's not about long jumping or hurdling with Jesus. It's about walking with Him, and we walk step by step. And if we look at it from a big picture, it's like, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You know, right, A bite at a time. Take a step, man. Whatever your next step toward Jesus is, take it. Take it today. Take another one tomorrow. And, you know, it, it works that way. But I started taking steps to Jesus, and he did a radical work in my life. He brought my wife and me back together. Uh, we got remarried, um, we, and he gave us the kids we had names picked up for, Maddie, Abby, Gabby, Addie, you know. <laughs> so Amazing what God did. Uh, definitely a great comeback, you know put me back into boxing, took me to a number five world ranking, put me on a reality show in 2006 and 2007, calls me out of boxing and throws me into a life of ministry. (laughs) 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 As the heavens are higher than the earth, so the Lord's ways are higher than ours. Oh, man, wow. I don't have to waste my time, you know, laboring for things of this world and getting beat up in the process and having to make weight and all that good stuff. But uh, I get you know. We 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 labor for that which lasts under everlasting life. That's what we're all about, putting our focus on the eternity, you know. Um, so, um, God did this great work in my marriage, brought us back together. But here's the deal. I share that testimony with people a lot, you know, and it encourages people and it gives them hope. And most people just assume everything's perfect. Look, man, me and my wife, we had two years where we literally, I would wish my worst enemy, I wouldn't wish those things on my worst enemy that we did to each other. You know what I mean? So, and, and. We spent one night together in that two years apart, and that's when our oldest daughter was conceived. We didn't get remarried because we loved each other. We didn't get remarried because, you know, for any reason, but we had a baby. And we're like, we got to get married. This is the right thing to do. It's it's, it's the only thing that will work. And, man, that was a that was hard. I mean, that was a train wreck, too, trying to, you know, just working all that out. Look, it was a difficult start. The good news is the Lord hasn't called us to start a race. He's called us to finish a race. <laughs> all right? So, you know, and, and he forgives and he redeems and, and all that. But here's the, here's the cool thing. We see it here. Jesus saves the best for last. So we go into ministry. January 2007. Um, Mike McIntosh, out of Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego, saw me on the contender, saw me glorify God even though I got beat. And... Um, and he said, man, I want that guy to speak in my church. It looks like he knows Jesus. And right at that time, God's calling me out of boxing, and it just, man, it all worked together. I go out there. All of a sudden, all these guys start calling, Ponto Orez, David Rosales, you know, all these guys. And, uh, and the ministry takes off, and, and life got so busy, crazy busy. I had, like, 270 speaking engagements in 2009. Crazy right? I mean, that's like a, a metal band tour schedule or something, you know. <laughs> and um, and life, we lived and we moved and moved and moved and we're all over the place and, and, and life never slowed down. We were going so fast, our problems, our baggage couldn't catch us. And it worked for a while until about five and a half years ago, we moved to Knoxville. And I came off the road, I quit traveling near as much and I go on staff as a staff uh college pastor there and life slowed down and all these problems would begin to come back and I tell you what I mean there, there's a lot I could talk about here um, you want a verse that'll change your life okay amen <laughs> Proverbs 23 7 for as a man thinks so is he as a woman thinks so is she man so I don't know if any of you guys, you know, this is, a, I can't give you a verse that tells you that Satan can put thoughts in our mind. But, but the Bible indicates that, he, you know, he tempts us. He's got schemes and wiles for us. And I, you know, I would say he can put thoughts in our mind. And um, I started buying into these thoughts. You know, life gets busy. Ministry gets busy. You neglect your relationship with Jesus and it opens you up to what? Deception. That's exactly what happened. And all these problems started coming to the surface in our marriage. And while that's happening, I'm getting deceived thinking, you know, I'm, I'm counseling all these college students, you know, wait on God. Do, you know, do this. God will provide your spouse. You know, you don't need to be dating and looking and searching. Just trust God. And, and I'm like, I'm thinking the whole time, I never did that. Me and Amy didn't do that. We got married, divorced, and remarried before we even knew the Lord, you know. So it's this whole thing of, man, I'm, I started to think these lies, you know. Maybe, maybe we're not right for each other. Maybe, maybe Amy's not God's best for me. And, you know, I, I, didn't, I wouldn't articulate this. and I, I didn't think it in my head because theology restricts that. But, um, but in my heart, I believe that God was just simply doing the best he could with the circumstances I had given him. And I was like, man, you know, I, I made my bet. I got to lie in it. You know, my marriage is never going to be what I hoped it would be. You know, but we're, we're, we're going to stay together because we have to. And, you know, that's just the best it's going to get. And I believed that for a while. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Not thinks in his mind. We don't think with our heart, do we? We think with our mind, but that, but we take those thoughts captive. If you continue to dwell on it, it takes root in your heart. And that's what had happened to me. And um, I don't have a lot of time to, to go on now. But I want to I leave you with a, an encouraging word. About a year and a half ago, God did the greatest work in my life ever, second only to my, my conversion experience, second only to that. God did a work in my life. And began to do work in Amy's life. And honestly, I can tell you today, guys, I love her more today and have a more fruit-bearing, life-giving marriage today than we've ever had. By, by a long shot. I'm talking by a long way. And I honestly, there were times um, that I, I said, you know, we're never going to be happy. We're never going to really love each other. And that was a lie from the enemy. Because today I love her more than I ever have. Even as 18-year-old or 16-year-old sophomores, when it was this young, you know, brand new love, you know. I love her more now than I did then. And all I can accredit it to is Jesus saves the best for last. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, man. So (laughs) so don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. We don't get to see what happens next week. We don't get to see what happens next month. But if we just take the simple uh, encouragement from Mary, just do what Jesus says to do. I promise you, he always saves the best for last. Let's pray. Father, we, we are so thankful for, um, for your word, for your spirit to teach us and encourage us. Um, we're so thankful for your faithfulness, Lord. Today is Father's Day, and, and you know, I'm thankful for all the, the men in here that have taken the role as a godly father. And I thank you for them, but Lord, you, you are a faithful father. You are a loving Father, a gracious and merciful Father. You're altogether good and perfect. You're powerful. You're, you're righteous. You're true. You're long-suffering, Lord. Y'all, you're, you're, you're so awesome. And, Lord, today we wish you a happy Father's Day. Lord, and we give you what we have to offer. We have our lives to offer. We have our, our hearts, our desires, our motives, everything. We give it to you. Thank you, God, for your encouragement today. I pray for every married couple in here that their marriages uh, may be It might be on the rocks even this morning. Maybe they left the house arguing. You know, life is busy, life is hard or difficult, kids, responsibilities, jobs, uh, and, and maybe they've um, forgotten how much they do love each other. Maybe they've wanted to throw in the towel a time or two. Lord, I pray today they've heard, not from me, but from you, that the best is right around the corner. Just do what Jesus says. Men, be godly husbands. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. Women, respect your husbands. And we trust you with the rest. Father, thank you for our time together. We pray you bless our time of Worship now and the rest of the day for these guys. We love you, Lord. Pray in your name. Amen. 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 Awesome.